Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with Dr. Patty Fletcher. Now, Patty is an amazing marketer and an amazing woman. And I'm gonna be really open and honest here. In our pre-discussion before we went live, I asked her a very simple question. I asked most people, why did you become a CMO now? Why not earlier? And in some cases, that's the case. And she was very open and honest with me. She said, it's biology. It's the realities of her being a woman. And as she put it, the challenges of her life before she turned 50 in terms of being able to tackle this and put the attention she needed towards being a CMO. And I think that honesty was so refreshing and it set up a fantastic conversation that you get to tune into right now. Patty speaks heavily on the world of employment and employee experience. And we use that to talk both about that world in the first part of our chat. For reference, Patty's also written an amazing book called Disruptors, Success Strategies for Women Who Break the Mold. And then we take that conversation and we tie it into what she's doing at Limeade. Limeade is in the HR space and she talks about ways to disrupt, ways to change the mold, not just in terms of your role, but in terms of how you go to market. Our second part of our conversation is all about content strategy. There's so much to take away from this episode. Tune in right now for my chat with Patty. Patty, Dr. Patty, whichever one people listening want to refer to as they look at this episode, thank you so much for stopping in. I am excited to talk about how you joined Limeade as a CMO. Maybe tell us that story because this is a different stage in someone's career than most to jump mm-hmm. to the CMO gig. Yeah. So um, I'm a 52-year-old woman, right? And and I, I beg to differ. Um, so typically you're looking at, you know, 40 to 49 years old to get into a C-suite position, which makes sense, Randy. It's when you've had the experience of failure <laughs> as well as the experience of success, but more important in a C-suite position, in addition to that, you know a lot of people. The challenge is that's a very male focused view of the world. When you're in your 40s as a woman, your cup tend to runneth over. And so, you know, the 50-year-old woman, your life really opens up and it becomes your own. And so actually for women, it's not that different of a trajectory, at least for my generation and the generations before me. Um, I come to this role from very deep roots in the ERP world. I grew up, and I know we'll probably talk about that, I grew up in, in B2B software, right? Growing an HR line of business. So it's very much in my wheelhouse. I was fortunate enough to work at an ex- extremely large organizations where I got to know multiple facets of the business, which has been so important from a marketing perspective. Marketing has a very specific role in any company in B2B. It's all about the bridge, the stuff you have, the people you want to have it, and then understanding how decisions are made. And in an ERP kind of world, they're made multiple influences and in decision makers. So how did I, Can come I jump to in this? there? Because I, I mean, first off, you hit on a, a really in, important point for a lot of people who are making these judgments, perhaps as I even did there, mm-hmm. in terms of, okay, are you going to be a CMO or not? I want to come back to that. 
But there's also an element for those who have had a moment to look back on your career, perhaps on LinkedIn, as I did, they would see that you had some roles that aren't necessarily, though, that trajectory towards CMO. You could have gone, in my mind, into so many different areas, be it general management, COO type of role. I mean, there's a role at SAP that you had for a three-year stint called Head of Global Cultural Transformation, which now, granted, it's within the marketing scope, but how did some of these roles define what you wanted? Like, did you know that you wanted to get to that CMO? It was just a timing issue. No, you know, I grew up at a, um, and went to business school at a time when marketing was very tactical, um, not very, to me, exciting. Didn't want to take the marketing classes, Randy. Um, and then working at a software company when I did, that was founded by incredibly intelligent German developers. There was no central marketing function there for several years. Then the company hired in its first ever real CMO, Marty Homlish, who brought Sony PlayStation to market. Um, and it it was fascinating. And truthfully, I, so I set up the HCM kind of solution marketing um, uh, gotcha. component there and um, lost some friends, right? Because it was, it was very much the enemy. So I do have more of a general, but what you just said is really important about that transformation role. What I have found is my career has been based on strategy to execution around large scale transformation. And what's been so amazing is it's it's a lot easier. It's not easy, but it's a lot easier to do large scale transformation. And what I mean by that is your values change. What has to be important changes in order for you to work in a different kind of way, right? You have new goals, new ways of collaborating, new things that matter, and therefore new processes and disciplines. It's a lot easier to do that if you're in an organization that's making the stuff and selling the stuff. Mm-hmm. It's harder to do that in a marketing or finance or IT function, which in a lot of organizations, less so now with marketing, but in a lot of organizations that are considered essentially fat, right? The cost center. And so learning how to do that because large scale transformation doesn't just contain within your department or organization. You need your stakeholders to to be different with you, to want different things. You've got to train them on how to work with you differently. And that's really defined me as a marketer as much as a business person because I'm bored. I get bored very easily. And if there is no change, there's no patty, right? Large scale transformation. That's what my life's been marked by. Somebody once very appropriately described me of patty cannot go in a room without changing the furniture around. That's interesting. I have a question on that, which is I've done over a hundred of these episodes. So talking to different marketing leaders and there's, there's kind of at a high level, I'd say there's two different marketing leaders that I've met. Mm -hmm. One who likes to stay in their marketing lane and one mm-hmm. who likes to stay in the executive leadership lane. Mm-hmm. And and it's a huge shift. I, I think that the best CMOs and most impressive CMOs I've spoken to often end up coming onto this podcast and they talk just as much about the rest of the business as they do the marketing side as you yep. are. And I'm, I'm curious, back to choosing this gig at Limeade or them choosing you, how much of that was your confidence and your ability to swim outside of the marketing lane? And as you said, not get, not get bored in, yeah. in one, one role. 
Yeah. So first of all, just know if I'm comfortable, I'm uncomfortable. I don't like that. Right. So I like to be uncomfortable. I like to jump in. I've, I've, with the exception of, you know, the last kind of years of, of my career, um, I did think it was about confidence and that's not right. And so I'm a disruptor. That's what I do. So that means I look for status quos that are inefficient, ineffective, and quite frankly, inequitable. And I want to change them. You cannot do that in a silo. Marketing has a role in the business. My favorite place besides with my team is in the C-suite, period, right? And typically, and I will say with Limeade, one of the decision makers from, for me going there is typically when you get to that C-level your relationships with your peers become more important with your than your relationship with your boss and quite frankly your team because that's where those strategy decisions are made that's when the real horse trading happens and so what typically happens in every other company is you got the sharp elbows by everybody right and you're doing this and also in order for a typical woman to have a voice in a company or in a room it has to be about 30% women this is the first time in my career where more than half of what they call the CEO D or CEO directs are women our board is women, right? Half women, half men. So really, really important to, to say that. For me, in terms of coming at it from a business perspective, my role is to help the business achieve its goals. My background has provided me the ability to understand what it means to be a consultant, what it means to be in pre-sales, what it means to stand in front of a C-suite that you're trying to sell to and get your kneecaps taken out, right? Like, it's like these are really important things. And so, because you have to understand the motivators, the buyer journey, how it's going to impact your head of sales and your head of product, two of the most important relationships that you have as a marketer. And so those are things that are really important. And when it comes to Limeade, for me, I am someone who figured out a long time ago, I'm not here to just support someone else's dream. That's not what motivates me. I'd be the worst administrative assistant the world would ever see. <laughs> um, I'm here to level the playing field so that all talent can thrive. As you can tell, right, I'm very much into, you know, the gender topic. I have a book about it. I'm on stage talking about it. But really, it enabled me to see all underrepresented populations. Because I grew up in the HR line of business, I understand the importance of the talent economy. I also have worked at the intersection of tech, people, and business and understand, because of my SAP days, how technology can truly enable a different way of being, of working, right, those value-based kind of changes. When I look at a company like Limeade who found me, it aligns with my, my passion around leveling the playing field so all talent can thrive. That starts with well-being. And so it had all of these factors around how do we make decisions? The relationship with my CEO is critical. He's a founder, CEO, right? I'm sure you've talked to other CMOs who've worked, right? Particularly in tech, that tends to be difficult, but he listens. He will change his mind. He will challenge me without being a jerk about it, right? It's amazing. And then with my colleagues in the C-suite, you know, you talked about there are two types of, of, of CMOs, and I fully agree. When we talk about the big decisions for the business, we challenge each other to look outside of our worlds, right? Outside of the departments or the functions or whatever it is that we run and go, okay, what does the business need? Not what do I need, but what does the business need? That attracted me. I can work with that. I thrive in environments like that. I, I love that mindset of what does the business need? And that's what more marketing leaders need to talk about. We're going to hit more on business strategy after a short break here. We'll be back with Patty to talk about the buyer journey at Limeade. 
Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I remember a while back, I had a leader on our team who was hiring for their team, and I wanted them to have more diversity on their team. Uh, they had a very male-focused leadership team reporting into them, and I said to them, I said, you gotta find a way to find balance. And they said to me, well, I'm just trying to hire the best candidate. And I understood that. I called a mentor of mine, and I asked the same question, and, and she had a great response to me. She said, you know, sometimes the best team is made up of diversity. It's those different views, it's the different perspectives that create the best team. It's not necessarily all the best individuals. It's the way they come together. And I think a lot of what Patty's guiding us here to is the importance of having diversity in our team and how we're able to be disruptive by bringing different minds together to tackle some of the biggest challenges. Patty, you wrote a book called Disruptors. So naturally, when you choose your first CMO gig, I assume you're going to choose a category, a solution that is disrupting. How do you go to market in a way where your message is disruptive in that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So the the HR vendor market, right? So selling to a CHRO and the, the folks who they look across the table to, right, their bench. I started in the market in about 1998. And back then it was all about HR getting a seat at the table, right? Guess what? That hasn't really changed that much. Although the world has shifted, we're looking at the people leaders differently, core HR, it's a necessary thing. So where I'm at right now, where the market's been at for a while, and I've talked about this for probably the last six, seven years, is HR, the heads of HR are in this really strange position. They are still being asked to have the orchestration, the scalability, the, the predictability, literally, of conducting an orchestra, right? We want the sequence. But guess what people want? <laughs> people want the innovation of a jazz band, right? So the one-size-fits-all, which is very much like a CMO um, kind of uh, component, right? The one-size-fits-all no longer works. And in fact, I think the CMO journey that we have been on for the last 15 years or so since digital marketing's really picked up, HR can learn a lot about. So all of this to say, I spent the majority of my career selling pipes, plumbing, and electricity, right? The ERP kind of thing, the box, where it was all about workflow, all about the streamlining. Now, everybody's talking about this thing called employee experience, which truly is about meeting people where they are, whenever they are, serving up this consumer grade, and I'm using air quotes for folks um, coming in, but consumer grade kind of experience. The truth is, um, when we think about things like what my company does, which is well-being at the heart of the employee experience, financial, 
physical, mental, right? All of those things I need to do to fully be able to live life on my terms as a human, be able to have those human connections with people, really live the culture of my org, taking care of myself, because if you don't have your well-being, you really don't have a lot. Thinking through all of this, what I have to do is I have to change minds out in the market. And so the I have to disrupt, right, how people are thinking around, wait a minute, if I want to get the best people here and they screw in retention, let's talk about getting the, you know, them to have this experience where they truly want to bring to the table something that makes them happy, that fuels them, the change they're bringing, the work they're doing, the relationships that they have, then I probably need to help the buyers disrupt what they believe to be true. My market has been founded on the HR market and most of ERP market because we sell fairy dust. My company does not, but that's what I come from, is this whole thing around thought leadership, right? And I don't love that term. It makes me cringe because I don't I don't believe in sage on the stage and I'd never refer to <laughs> myself, right? Someone else gets to decide if you're a thought leader. But here's right. the problem with thought leadership. It leaves no room for your buyer. Interesting. I like that. I like that language. Yeah. So what I prefer and what we're working on at, at Limeade is to be thought provokers. What are the new questions when you, as a marketer, it's really important to understand, ask the question, because when you ask the question, you only answer. And people want to be part, they want to be engaged in their own buyer journey, right? And in, in the US, we have more of a a benefits buyer who is looking, they they got their RFP checklist, right? But they're also understanding they have an opportunity to help infuse their culture, to be more connected, more human, more meet you where you are, give you what you need, where more than the people who give you a paycheck kind of thing. So we need to give them new things to think about beyond the ROI of, you know, having people access their benefits, get the most out of, you know, Absolutely. the opportunities. Over in the EU, we're more of an experience play, which is truly more about that communication piece, getting your, you know, using your nudges, which all that stuff that we do in the US as well. But again, more around that that connection piece versus the optimization of benefits. And it's no different. When we look at that ERP world, which is all of a sudden saying, hey, wait a minute, and all the big players are, hey, wait a minute, we're now about the employee experience. The truth is they're not. They are simply creating a prettier approach for people to plug into a workflow. We have started back in 2006 with the person, the human at the center. That's hard to catch up to. And so for me, I love that as a launch point. That's why I love this work, because I'm starting to challenge my own thinking around wait a minute, have I been asking myself the same question? I've been managing people for a very long time, right? So have I Have I been asking myself the wrong questions around what my people need? And has HR actually helped me with that? Like what, what are those new things? And the US, we have known for a long time, Randy, that we need health insurance, right? Right. The world's so much different. We have different expectations, different populations requiring different things. And so it's just that has fueled me as a large scale transformation person to bring that kind of change, that kind of mindset shift, that kind of absolutely view of myself as a buyer. So there's a lot to take in there for someone who's passionate about the space that you're in, either as an employee and their mm-hmm. experience or 
really, I think you can take a lot of the lessons that you just shared there and apply that to any industry. Yes. The, the words that you hit on within that that I absolutely love is stop being a thought leader and start being a thought provoker. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can give us some some strategies where you've been able to do that. Because I'm trying to sit here and understand, and I'm sure some listeners are, does this mean that I need to start literally injecting the voice of my customer as the blog author? Or does mm-hmm. this mean I'm not necessarily giving all the answers, like you said, versus I'm asking questions in my content? Yeah. So look, do you want to have a monologue or a dialogue? It ultimately comes down to that. And I think we all want the latter. Exactly. So how do we do that if we're preaching our, our how smart we are right? Right. <laughs> our view of the world? And so, you know, in, in my space, your relationship starts the day you sign the deal. You know, the old days when it, when it was on-prem, that's kind of, you know, you throw it over the fence and, and there we go. Um, it's different now. And so the, the buyer, it tends to be about three-year terms, right? So the buyer is thinking around, not only can you solve can you help me tackle my problems today? And how are you going to help me three years from now? And so do I want someone who just preaches at me or do I want someone that helps me to not only solve what I need to solve to make my, my CFO happy, but do I also want someone that's going to help me be a better leader, help me get more from my life? So some examples of that, not, you know, I just started at Limeade in, in, in January, right? But we're starting some new dialogues, but let me take one from my past. When I was back at SAP, and, and thanks to the work that I, I did outside of the, the company around bias in the workplace and unconscious bias, um, we did a lot of research around where does that unconscious bias matter in the experience or life cycle of a typical employee? And we identified nine key decision points where they matter and started to go, what happens if we detect, prevent, and eradicate that bias along that journey, which is a mix of HR, hiring managers, all all that fun stuff. And what we decided to do was ask the questions based on where technology could help us identify, um, detect, eradicate. And all of a sudden, right, the analysts, you know, of course, you spend time with the industry analysts and you let them see your point of view and then it becomes their point of view. And then they look at, they (laughs) they do a carve out, right, and they disrupt the HR world. And so what ends up happening with the influencers, the analysts, the bloggers, the folks looking at your stuff, they start going, wait a minute, in this new world, what does it actually mean? What is the future of HR in this? What are the things we should be solving for that are our blind spots? Do people want more efficiency? Yes. Is that enough? Hex no, right? That's more for the top. For the HR buyer to understand, wait a minute, a woman in her 40s might have a different expectation than a they, right? Someone who's in their 20s, who's probably going through a lot of different changes if they're going from a a gender, you know, that someone assigned to them to, to some that they're taking on their own and really being able to understand through data. So what does that mean to me as an employer? What expectations they have of me? It becomes a different conversation, bottom up, top down, all that fun stuff. The other piece is therefore what has to change. What's the data I have to collect? What do I have to train my people, managers on? Because in my particular market, 
we know that people don't leave a company, they leave a boss, right? So stuff like that. But then when I was at IBM and I was focused solely on a CIO, it was defensible disposal of data, that truly was more around people were holding on for, to data for far too long. They get a legal hold, they're in trouble, right? They didn't need it from a regulatory perspective. So what were those catalysts I had to ask them about, right? What were those things where they had hidden costs, not so hidden costs? What were the new questions they had to ask of their people, of their stakeholders, of a sales org who wants to hold on to everything for you know all time? So to your point, while I'm very passionate about the market, you can tell I could talk about it for years and, and unfortunate for some folks, I do. Um, it does not matter. You have a vision as a marketer. That is your job. I do not care if you're internal or external. A CMO has a vision for where they want the market to be. They then need to think about, in order for the market to be that, what must the buyer value? What must they believe to be true? What is that growth mindset that you would want for them? And then what do they actually do today? <laughs> right? What right. do they believe to be true? And then ask those questions that get them from that fixed mindset of how they're actually spending their time to the thing of, wait a minute, I'm thinking differently. Therefore, you know, what's my new why, right? Then the golden circle, right? Therefore, how am I actually going to make that happen? And then what do we need in place? And that's how you infuse the thought provoking piece. You collect data on all that. You see what works, right? You know, the mix that you need to get out there in terms of that buyer journey to help them accelerate. I will say when you start getting into thought provoking and you use the data in that way to understand the motivations and, and you know, what they do next and interact. And it becomes to your point, more engagement versus we're just going to tell you what to do with the microphone, kind of the, the, you know, the old days, you will find that people do accelerate faster through the journey. You will find that you're able to really hone in on your persona within your ICPs. It, it's, it's amazing. It takes time and it's worth it. Fantastic. Well, Patty, we're going to keep you around for a couple more rapid fire questions right after a break, but we've learned already so much about how to disrupt People don't want to go away. Stick yeah. around. I swear I'm going to steal this line of thought provoking versus thought leadership because it's fantastic. That's what we have to do as marketers. We need to bring our customers into the conversation. I obsess over this. As many of you know, I moved from a CMO role to a chief evangelist role in the last year. And part of that to me is not me getting up on stage and sharing everything that I believe every time. It's getting people to question themselves or getting people to contribute. One of the most effective campaigns that I still continue to engage in is getting our customers at Uberflip onto a recording with me where they tell their story. They tell their go-to-market strategy. They teach the rest of the community that I get to engage with all the time. That provokes my thought. It provokes our community's thought. And that is the type of marketing that we need to bring more into the mix on a daily basis. Patty, we have taken so much away from your career journey, as well as the buyer journey and you know, big topic today has been disruption. I'm curious your view of the future CMO. You know, perhaps that CMO who's currently a junior marketer on your team, aspiring to get there. Do you think they're going to come through a path of some sort of specialty or more being that generalist? 
I think they're actually viable in, in both ways. Um, so the business of marketing cannot be underestimated. If you work for a company, you're there to make money. And so understanding the engine, the data, everything from you know the motivation to performance, critical, general is just as important because you need to know how those functions work together, not just within your org, but more importantly, with the rest of the organization. I'm not surprised to hear you say that based on our first part of our combo today around, you know, being a manager, being part of the executive team to have that view of the organization as a whole, that, that makes so much sense. So we, we hit a little bit on content. We didn't get too specific though about content versus it's gotta, it's gotta be thought provoking beyond being thought provoking. What makes for great content for you? What gets you to click? Yeah, it, it really is a, tell me something I don't know ask me something I don't have an answer to. And so whether that's through, you know, your customers should always be your heroes, right? So whether it's through understanding what the most progressive executives are are asking themselves, um, video, no joke, you know, everybody gets that, um, really, really important. And then from a content perspective, it's all about measuring. So as a CMO, I want to understand what am I A-B testing for, where in the buyer journey does this actually sit, and then what are the behaviors and more importantly, actions that I want to motivate. Gotcha. I, I love that answer because it hits on the importance of understanding the problems mm -hmm. that they have. And, and you hit on that with the circle that we, that we described earlier. It takes me to my next question, which is, content today ultimately has to be personalized. And I think that's an element of what you were saying. Creating a personalized experience used to just be, I knew your name, right? Mm -hmm. I know you're Patty. What yeah. does it mean to you to have something personalized today? Yeah. it's So in B2B, it's all about understanding who your buyer is, who they have to talk to, convince, what's the business case, and then how is it going to help them shape conversations internally to be different so that their customer's customer can have a different conversation. It is all about understanding the reality of the buy from their perspective. That's a great way to put it. Takes me to the last question today, and and we we almost had a full segment on this one today, which was nice. I, I really enjoyed your perspective, and I know this is a lot of what you write about and mm -hmm. speak about on a regular basis. How do you guide people to balance work and personal commitments, and, and how have you done that yourself? Um, there is no balance. So um, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is find out what fuels you. And then create harmony around that. Be willing to be flexible in your day. Sometimes it's going to be more with your family. Other days it's going to be more with your business. But understand what fuels you and work from there and understand it's not about managing your time because that's finite. It's about managing your energy and putting your best energy into the things that you are passionate about and getting through the stuff that just needs to get done. I love that. That's great advice. This episode has been packed with that. I can't thank you enough, Patty, uh, for taking time to share with us. If anyone has you know, stumbled upon this episode, definitely check out all the other great CMOs who have joined us and shared their journey. I think the one thing I know that's in common is no one's path is the same. Yours is taking its own route, and hopefully one day you'll be here on this podcast to share it. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey. 
You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 